I am at a, a, a really good place. You know, you know how, and it's not that I've been in a bad place, but just a more terrified of the direction that, that we need to be going as, as a church, but really not, not specifically our church, but just as, as people who, are, who love the Lord and want to live a godly life, how we need to be moving forward, right? And, and it's, a, it's, it's a weird place to be, to feel confident and comfortable with, with where I am in my head, because it, it doesn't mean that I think things are going to just get a lot better. In fact, I kind of, I'm like, oh, I'm not sure where, where they're going, right? There's, there's just so much chaos, and there's so much fear, and we, we're seeing that right now. I mean, it's, it's just, it is, every time you think, Okay, it's about to to calm down a little bit. We're all going to kind of be able to be on the same page. Something else happens and just rips us apart again, right? And uh, and and what's funny is it rips us apart in different camps. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's it's strictly Republican and Democrat. That's an easy one to rip apart. But then you'll add Republican, Democrat, and race, and that rips you apart. I mean, just all kinds of things, right? And so if you do, as uncomfortable as it is to think about this as a spiritual battle, because like I said, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around, and we easily go to the uh, kind of the, the practical way that works, and, and we start thinking about, well, are all these demons all around us and all these angels, and they're fighting, and then sometimes we get, again, I'm not going to get into the depths of how it all works because we don't fully understand that, right? Just like I fully don't understand how I can have peace and have joy even whenever I grieve the loss of someone I love. But I know it's there, right? So so we're in that kind of a spiritual battle, which it explains everything that's going on. It explains why there's chaos in the world around us. It explains why you have churches that are being split apart because of their views on masks. Because none of that makes rational sense. But it does whenever you understand that we're in a spiritual battle and there's deception and manipulation that's going on and we are all subject, subject to it. So we have to constantly be pushing back against it. But the thing is, is if you, if you just kind of don't think of it that way and aren't pushing back and seeking to find truth, it is very easy to get manipulated. Right? And it's, it, it's fairly easy to be manipulated even when you are doing that because there's just so much information out there. It is overwhelming. But we need to recognize that's the situation we're in. We can we can wish that we weren't, right? But that only gets you so far, and it's not very far at all, right? There's a few little phrases that are coming to my mind about wishing, but none of them are really appropriate to say, <laughs> because because and but we we have we've lived in a time and a place where we are so blessed and have it have have had so much comfort. It's, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around, man, this could get a lot worse. Right? But it, it can. If you, if you start living against the true foundational principles of God, 
So it starts to impact societies. And so we need to understand that. And, and so we're going to be talking a lot about the spiritual battle that we're in and how it's practically um, kind of revealing itself to us. And guess what? There's going to be things that we disagree with on <laughs> right? because we're in a spiritual battle. But we're going to do our best. And, and the way that we have to do this is, is it has to be rooted in Jesus Christ. It has to be rooted in Scripture. It has to be rooted in, in the Creator of the, of the earth that is revealed to us through Scripture. Right? And then we'll have debates on interpretation and all that stuff. Okay, that's fine. But it has to start there. And so we're, we're going to be looking at different things. And, and so today I want to, want to talk about a passage that I think is, is very important. And, and it's one you'll, you see the uh, part of it. It's when Jesus is talking with the disciples. And so what is happening here is Jesus is about to make his last journey to Jerusalem. Okay, So, you know, for three years, Jesus kind of moved from town to town, place to place, right? They would go to, to Jerusalem on occasion. Um, you know, he'd have run-ins with uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, and then he'd move on to different, different places. Um, you know, the, the country of Israel is not that big, you know, so it would be a few days' walk in between this town to this town and, and things like that. So he spent his time moving around. Well, this passage is in Matthew chapter 16, uh, starting in verse 13. Um, they are now beginning uh, to, or about to begin to go back to Jerusalem. But what Jesus has done is he's actually brought the disciples to one of the more northern parts of, of Israel. That's Caesarea Philippi. All right? Now, it was about 20 miles north of, of Capernaum. You recognize that? Jesus spent a lot of time in Capernaum and stuff. But this is 20 miles north of that. So this is kind of on, on somewhat of the outer edge. Um, so, and it's away from Jerusalem. So, so Jesus intentionally moves the disciples. They walk a couple of days, 20 miles, a couple of days up north. And, and Jesus has this conversation with the disciples. And then after this, he's headed towards his death. Like, so, so this is kind of a, a pretty big moment. So Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, where whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In the order, uh, then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. All right. And then if you, it's <laughs> really interesting, I'm not going to get into this uh, a lot, but he, this is a wonderful uh, exchange he has with Peter, where Peter says, you are the Messiah. You are the, the I mean, that, that's a bold 
statement that Peter made. And then the very next one, Jesus tells them as they're now headed to Jerusalem, Jesus says, basically, I'm going to die. And Peter says, no, we'll never let that happen. And Jesus tells Satan, get behind, tells Peter, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> so, so Peter and the disciples are still working all this out, right? <laughs> kind of like us, right? We're still kind of working stuff out. We don't fully get it. But this was a moment that Peter got it, all right? And so it's, it's, uh, it's so important to understand what is being said and, and done here. So Jesus is asking, uh, who, do, who do people say the Son of Man is? All right? The Son of Man, that was an important uh, topic. It was an important thing to, to understand, and it was very important to the, the faith, uh, the Jewish faith at that time. They were looking for the Son of Man. They were looking for the Messiah who would come and who uh, would bring deliverance and make things the way that it was supposed to be. Right? Now, they, didn't, they all had different ideas about exactly what that would look like. Right? They had ideas of, of some of the things that, that, uh, that a Messiah would bring, that you know, they believed he'd be from the line of David. They believed that he would be born uh, in Bethlehem. Right? Some, of those, some of those things. But there was even debate on that. Right? So Jesus is asking, who do, you, who do people say that I, uh, the Son of Man is? And some said John the Baptist. Right? Some said the prophets of old, so that it's already happened. Right? So they've kind of you know, given up, or the, that maybe the prophet is going to kind of uh, come back again. Right? And, uh, and, and then Jesus asked a, a much tougher question, one that's a little harder for us to, to understand how tough it was. But whenever he looked at them and said, but who do you say that I am? This was a line in the sand, right? You know, you, you know I, I love the, the stories of the Alamo and uh, was it uh, Bohannon? Um, you know, he, the, whether it happened or not, I, I don't know. Probably may not have, but, you know, he draws a line and said, whoever's going to stay, cross the line, right? That kind of an idea. Really, and it's like because once you cross that line, you're committed, and it may not it may not end well in your mind, right? And and so that's a it's a big moment. So when Jesus is asking them, "Who do you say that I am?" He's asking them to cross that line because there had been other people who had claimed to be the Messiah. And who had probably, and who had done some good things in pushing back against the enemies of Israel. But they were not the Messiah. And guess what would happen to them? They would be caught, and they would be killed, and everyone who followed them would be caught and would be killed. <laughs> right? So, so the, the whole idea of saying that you believed that someone was a Messiah, you, you were all in. Right? And so Peter, as the spokesman, as the, the one who spoke up and said wonderful things and spoke up and said stupid things, he jumps across the line. Right? He says, You're, you are the Son of Man. You are the Messiah. He's saying he's all in. Now, he didn't know what that meant, as evidenced by what happens just later. But he knew the magnitude of that decision. And he knew how important it was. 
that if he was going to, and if any of the disciples were going to actually engage the world around them for the cause of God, that it started with making this, this decision. They could have made the decision, you know what, we're just going to keep going to synagogue, keep, keep uh, you know, following the rules of the Pharisees, and just kind of take it easy. And look, they wouldn't necess- that wouldn't necessarily have been a sinful thing to do, right? They, were, they could still follow God, could still worship God. But if you want to engage in the world around you and push back against the things that are against God, you have to cross over the line. <laughs> and that's what Peter was doing. And so Jesus' response is interesting. He says, one, that didn't come from you. Here's, a, here's a, another kind of indication that this is a spiritual thing that's going on. That, and that Peter didn't even realize it. <laughs> but, but that this is a spiritual thing for someone to actually say and, and to make that commitment. It's because of, of, of what you truly believe in God, but that God gives you that courage. Right? And, but, but you have a part to do in that. You have to, you have to take that step. Right? And so uh, Jesus tells Peter, you, you're right in saying this. Um, this is a dangerous thing. It, I think that's one of the reasons maybe this conversation is had with just them up in Caesarea Philippi. Right? Jesus, if he would have started with this three years earlier, he would have already been in jail before he could even get get things started in a practical way, right? But but he was beginning to that move to Jerusalem. Everything was about to unfold, and the disciples needed to be on board, and they were. Now, I want want to think a little bit more about practically... What, what was happening here. And I don't know, I may, I may get more excited about this than you, so I apologize. You know, I, I don't know, were you ever in one of those, uh, a, a, a lecture or something, especially like math or something like that, and, and the professor's getting really excited showing you how this math problem works and all that stuff, and you're just like, this is the stupidest stuff. I mean, but that person's passionate about it, right? And you're like, well, good for them, I, but I just can't do it. So that, this could be... Uh, one of those moments, but don't worry, we'll still get out basically on time. So, <laughs> but one of the things that I love about the context context of this passage it actually it actually points us more to the spiritual battle element that we have here, because Jesus uses this term, the gates of Hades, and that the gates of Hades shall not prevail. All right, okay, that's, that, that's some spiritual stuff there. Right? But what, what does he mean by that? And, you know, is that just a figure of speech? Is the gates of hell? You know, and, and, uh, and I think the way that many times we have interpreted this passage is that the gates of hell are going to be attacking us, right? But that they will not prevail, right? That, that they will not overcome uh, the power of Christ. I, I think that, that's an okay interpretation. But look into this a little bit more. So in Caesarea Philippi, Caesarea Philippi was an interesting place. It was actually a, what, what we may talk about as a resort community in a way, 
It was beautiful. It was very nice. It was green. It was lush. Right? There, uh, it was um, the, one of the tributaries uh, that um, um, fed into the Jordan River, um, the Banyas River, um, started in Caesarea Philippi, bubbled up from the ground, and, uh, and was a tributary that started, flowed into the Jordan River. This has always been a, a, um, a kind of the seventh wonder of the world type place, right, in that area. That, and, uh, and so the, the rich and the wealthy, this was always an important place for them. It also was directly connected with major pagan worship. To the extreme. It was connected all the way back in the Old Testament. You may remember reading about the Philistines and the god Baal. Um, that's how I say it. It's sort of Baal, Baal. This was a major place of worship of Baal. Child sacrifice was directly associated with the worship of Baal. Right? Then you have the Greeks that come in. Um, you know, we kind of had talked about that a few weeks ago. You have, um, you know, uh, whenever you have Alexander the Great that comes in, you have the Greek influence. Then you have uh, other gods that are starting to be worshipped here. One is the god of Pan. All right, the god Pan. He looks like this. The so he's the kind of the goat with the flute guy. Right, so he's. You know, I mean, it, it's, I mean, Greek mythology is way it's out there, right? But uh, but he uh, he was a, a god of the shepherds. Jesus is the good shepherd. He's the god of uh, of the woods. He's a fertility uh, god. Uh, kind of all of this stuff wrapped up into uh, um, together. Um, he uh, so there there were lots of. <laughs> fertility rituals that would be going on, right? They would not be godly, right? And here in Caesarea Philippi, now, do we know this for sure from the Scripture? I No. But this is what Caesarea Philippi was known for at the time. So I don't think Jesus walked His disciples 20 miles and then was like, ooh, this is a really pagan place. Why did we come here? No, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. And what they would have been looking at would have been something like this. You had this area, which is a huge cave, and uh, here in a minute we'll see. That is where the water for the river started. It's where it came. Um, they believed, and you, you look, the gates of Hades, this place is called, that, the, that cave is called the gates of Hades to this day. That was believed that the god of Baal and other gods, that they would come in and out. That was the connection to the underworld. And whenever they would go in, winter would come. And when they would come out, it would bring the changing of the seasons. Now you have the god Pan, fertility, shepherds. See how all this is kind of tying together in a very pagan way, right? So today, this looks like, just so you know that I'm not lying. So this is what it looks like today. Here's where 
the, that one place would have been. And of course, that's a, an, an assumption, a rendering from looking at all of the ruins. Um, but this is what it looks like today, a kind of a big shot. And, uh, and you can see where all of this stuff at some point was. Um, you look a little bit closer. You see um, all of these little areas that are carved out. Um, there would, that's where you would put your idols, right? And, uh, and so there'd be lots of little idols of the little goat guy, Pan, <laughs> that would have been put in there. And there were other gods that were worshipped here as well. Pan was one of the, the main ones. Um, here's just a little picture closer up. You can see the water. Used to, um, a long time ago, they, they believe that the water was actually flowing out of here. But that has changed. Now it's just a, a trickle. There's been, uh, there was a, a major earthquake in the 1800s that caused a lot of damage uh, here. Um, but at the time when Jesus was there, probably that water was actually flowing out. Here's just a little closer, some of the, the steps and, and things like that of this area. There's some more of those little cutouts and, and that cave. And of course, it starts to make you, make you wonder and make you think whenever Jesus is using this analogy of a rock and changes Peter's name to the rock and then is connecting the church with a rock, right? It's all, all together. And they're looking at this massive rock, but they're also looking at these pagan things that are happening all the time. Interestingly, the flute thing that the god Pan had. Um, one of the uh, stories behind that is that he could make a horrible sound out of that, and it would cause chaos, and it became the root for the word panic. It would cause panic. So as Jesus is sitting here, having this discussion with his disciples. I believe he is literally looking at the gates of hell where the society around him, the world around him, this is in, in the midst of Jerusalem. Now again, it's Roman now, but this is in the midst of the promised land that they are spitting in the face of God and they are worshiping the God of Pan. Right? And Jesus is looking at that and he's talking to his disciples and he's, he's asking them, who do you say that I am? Because guess what? If you say that I am the Messiah, then all of this is now your enemy. <laughs> and whenever he says, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. I don't, mean, I don't think what he was saying is that the gates of hell, that they're coming after me. He's talking about the church. He's talking about establishing the church. He's talking about you are, you, the church is going to be built on you. And it wasn't just Peter, by the way. right? That's part of it, but it was, it was all of them. And he was saying, you are going to attack the gates of hell. And the hell will not overcome. Because if you, if you look at how battle was done, you had cities and they built walls. 
And the, the only way that a city could withstand is, is if its gate was strong enough. Right? You could build the walls where they could repel attackers. Gate, the gate was the weak point. Right? And, and that is where you would go to attack. You attack the gate. And I believe that Jesus is very specifically, he's saying, are you going to be with me? And if you are, that means it's time to attack the gates of hell. Because this is disgusting. We have people that have in the past had thrown their babies into those waters to appease some imaginary God. Right now you had people having sex in public and degrading themselves so that it would bring about a good harvest. Right? That stuff is evil. And it is destroying lives. And I believe Jesus was saying, we are the, the church has to push back on that. The church doesn't just sit in its walls and then repel the arrows. The church attacks the gates of hell. And that is a different perspective. And it's one that we've become uncomfortable with because we do have these images of when the church has attacked in ways that are not godly. Right? Whenever the the, whenever the, the church, and especially over in Europe, and whenever the church was mixed in with the government completely, then you'd have raise an army, and you would go and uh, take land, and you'd do it in the name of God. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. So what we've done, I believe, is that we've become so sensitive to that because there has been a lot of evil that's been done in the name of the church that we have kind of become very defensive and, and defensive in many ways, right? We've become defensive in that, uh, you know, in kind of an, an emotional way. But we've also just said, you know what? I, I sure don't want people to think that I'm trying to force my views on them or force them to change or anything like that, you know, because we sure don't want to bring up images of the Crusades going out to take land, right? Okay, you're right. We don't. But what we have done is the church has just put a wall around itself and just said, okay, we're just going to hunker down and take the arrows. And I think Jesus was saying, no, you are to be storming the gates of hell. You are not to just be stuck in your church. You're not supposed to just create all Christian schools and never engage with the world around you, even though those can be great tools. You have to engage the world around you, because the evil that is there is destroying people. It is pulling people away from God. It is creating anxiety. It is creating depression. It's increasing chaos. It's causing panic. And as the church, we have two options. We can just sit in our walls and just become strengthened ourselves, right? And we need some of that but we also need to be attacking the gates of hell because I, I can't just sit here and watch people be led to the slaughter because they believe lies. And this is hard to do, but we have to. And I believe it starts as like, how do you, you know, and even using those words, I understand, are kind of, you know, we get a little, little like, what were you talking about? Attack. Are you talking about, you know, are we supposed to all go and invade the, the capital? No, I, I could care less about the political institutions. I'm talking about something so much bigger than this. 
We have to start engaging the ideas that flow and spew from the gates of hell. And we have to start saying, no, those are wrong. And guess what? It may lead to a crucifixion. It led to that for all of the disciples were were killed for their death. They were killed for their death. They were. (laughs) I'm glad I can still catch things like that. No, they were killed for their faith, right? In different ways. They were martyred. It was, but it's because they were attacking the gates of hell. And then it's still true, even though it ended that way for them, that the gates of hell did not prevail. We're still, we're here today talking about it. And you know what? We may go through a time where it feels like the gates are holding pretty strong. But they're not going to prevail. And we have to engage the world around us. And it starts with first making that decision. Are you going, (laughs) is everything that you do going to be based on who you believe that Jesus is? You either believe him or you don't. And and you know, we've become really wishy-washy on that. I believe it's Jesus, that he is God, that he died and he rose again, and that he is the only way to heaven, that he is the only way to live a completely fulfilled life. I believe all the other things, all the other paths, all the other religions have elements of truth in them, but they do not lead to God. And that's not a popular statement. But you have to cross over that line. If you're going to enter into storming the gates of hell, it starts with with being pretty confident in who Jesus is. And then we have to start engaging in the world around us. We have to engage the chaos and the panic and try to speak some truth into that to bring about some peace and hope because chaos and panic are the tools that flow from the gates of hell. And so when you see that happening, you know that's not coming from God. And as the church, we have to be willing to get into that, which ironically sometimes causes a little bit more chaos within the church, because there's a lot of people who are like, no, we don't want to do this. (laughs) So it's hard. I understand it's hard. And I understand there's going to be people that are like, I don't want any part of this. But that doesn't mean that we can just sit behind the walls. We are the ones that are supposed to be taking it to the enemy. We need to push back against the lies of this world. And we're going to be talking about that this year, very specifically. And you know, unfortunately, a lot of times it does fall into what has now been categorized into political ideologies. And that's a wonderful tool from Satan. Right? But we have to engage the lies that, that people are being told because it is destroying people. And we can't just sit back behind the walls and we all know that we're going to be okay. And we can all gain support to know that God's going to be with us through the fires. Right? that we know that we can come to the table no matter where we've been, and then we just look out at the grotto of Pan 
all around us and we see people that are being deceived and manipulated and that are being pulled literally into the gates of hell while we just sit here and do nothing. We can't do that. And it's, it's hard. And we're going to mess up sometimes. And sometimes the arrow is going to penetrate. But it is time that the church starts doing what Jesus asked us to do. To go and attack the gates of hell. And know that they will not prevail. Because Jesus has already prevailed. He has already overcome sin and death. That's why he told Peter, get behind me, Satan, when Peter was saying, no, you're not going to die. No, Jesus knew that the way that they would prevail is because Jesus was going to die and overcome sin and death. So Peter was actually working on the side of Satan because Satan did not want that to happen. Jesus knew it had to happen because that is how we prevail and we will prevail. Let's go to him.